Glad you guys are all here this weekend. Uh, just a short series that we're going to do on Israel. We go in a couple of weeks, and as we go, we always like to be a blessing to the nation. We support uh, uh, many different uh, ministries there. In particular, one I'm excited about, and I'll talk a little bit about it um, as I come to the end. We have found a sweet church right in the middle of Jerusalem called King of Kings. And for the very first time last year, um, we went, attended it with, uh, with our group. It's about 1,000 people. Um, it is spirit-filled. It is, uh, imagine this, right in the middle of Jerusalem, Israel, man. And we, we have found this sweet, sweet church, and they're doing so much in the nation to represent the Lord. Um, it's just, it's incredible. This year, it's one of our focuses that we want to bless them. So uh, part of what we're going to do is uh, not today and not tomorrow, but next weekend, Saturday and Sunday next weekend, we'll take an offering for Israel and uh, take that money and give it away and tell you where we give it away and show you the different uh, ministries. But I want to, uh, part of it, I want to go to that church there. It's just so, so incredible. Um, let me begin by telling you two significant events for me personally in Israel. One's really funny. Uh, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me. Uh, and then the second one was one that um, was probably one of the more serious um, spiritual things that ever happened to me. And I'll tell you the funny one first. We did our very first trip in 1994. Chris and I were youth pastors. We had never gone to Israel before. We got invited to go with a, um, with a group of pastors that we were on staff with. It was a once-in-a-lifetime super special opportunity, and um, we went over with hearts full of wonder, uh, not knowing what we were going to experience. Like most people who go for the very first time, Chris and I were sure we would lose our lives if we went to Israel. We were just, we were just sure we were not going to come back. We actually had our wills done before we left. We did all the things that we know our people end up doing the first time they go uh, to, and then we got there and had one of the best times we had ever had. But um, it's a it's a trip where we make um, this, this joke every time. We're going to run where Jesus walked because we try to see so much in such a short amount of time. And those who have done the trip know. I mean, it's just there's just not enough time to see everything that's there. And while we were in um, Jerusalem towards the end of the trip, uh, the roads are real. They're rugged and they're ancient and they're old. And Chris stepped off one of the sidewalks and twisted her ankle and fell right in the middle of the street. That's not the funny part, by the way, so don't be like, <laughs> so I, I, I pick her up, and she can't walk on her foot. It's that bad. We had to go and get crutches from a hospital, and the very last day, she was unable to go with us. She ended up just staying at the hotel, and sometime around noon, 1 o'clock, she was bored in the room, and so she came downstairs, and she sat in the lobby. And in the lobby of our hotel were a group of Jewish women, not Christian, not Muslim, Jewish, Jewish women. So Chris just went, she sat down, she put her foot up on the chair with her crutches, and these women were asking her, what happened to you? And she begins to tell them about, uh, you know, her, her accident. And so they said, uh, obviously, you're American, they could tell, and... Um, she said, yes, I am. And they said, how long have you been here? She said, we're actually, this is our, our, our last day. 
And, and the women said, well, what, what have you seen while you're, while you're here? And Chris begins to recount to them different places that we've been and different things. And, and she said, and then um, she goes, yesterday, it was just so, so incredible, so significant. Uh, we went to Bethlehem yesterday. And she goes, somebody so important was born in Bethlehem. Who was it? Who was it? <laughs> and the Jewish women look at her and go, Jesus? <laughs> And Chris goes, oh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus was born. <laughs> when I got back and she told, I thought she was kidding me that that happened until this day. Every time we go, we laugh and we laugh and we laugh about that story. Let me tell you, um, maybe the most top, top three or four things spiritually that have ever happened to me where I know that I know that God, his presence stood next to me. And he was speaking to me. He surrounded me. Um, I, I know that I know um, what was going on, and it was just so supernatural. Um, it was that same trip, and we had gotten to Jerusalem. Now, as a believer, most of the people in the room are believers. You have some understanding that our Bible comes through a Judeo root before it reaches us. Right? Jesus was Jewish. When we read the Old Testament, we're reading about um, uh, the the one God. the, The whole profound thought comes through Judaism towards us. And even though we have a better covenant through Jesus, what you have to understand, what you have to know is Jesus didn't come to do away with the old. He didn't come to do away with the Torah. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of those things. And what makes, what makes it so sad for people living in our day? How, how about this? This would probably be the best, um, the best analogy that I could give you. Immigrants that come to our country today. I think one of the great arguments that are out there today is that they don't assimilate into our country. And when you don't assimilate into a country, it's so easy then to hate the new country that you're in because you don't assimilate and understand where that country came from. Do you agree with that statement? It's very true. Okay, I would just say this to you very quickly. It's a shame that so many Christians don't understand where you came from biblically. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know the blessing that God has for you throughout the Bible. You don't understand who Jesus is and why Jesus did this. We read our Bible without the context of the the Jewish understanding of it. And there's so many promises missing for us. And so many things that we read that they're they're whole. It would would be like uh, uh, getting a newspaper and having pieces of it. Just you're, You're trying to figure out what does it mean. And that's, that's the, 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 the Jewish part of, of our, our Bible that just when we're so unfamiliar with it and we're, we're not taught it, we don't understand it, so I, it has nothing to do with going to heaven because we go to heaven based on what Jesus did. But gosh, there's so many promises and so many things that you'll read in the Bible that if you had a better understanding of Jewish custom and tradition and why it would make it it's like a tapestry you ever looked at a rug the front of the rug is so pretty and the back of the rug looks so ugly you ever seen those types the bible without the full understanding of judaism is like sometimes looking at the back of it not the front of it. you're missing so much of the beauty you really are there's so much that i would like to take the time to teach on it but uh, i'll jump in we were in jerusalem um, 
it's a nine-hour time difference there. So uh, what are we in the afternoon there, early, early in the morning? Um, those first three days are rough. Anybody that travels international knows what it's like that your body clock doesn't change just because the clock on the wall does. And so literally, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, um, there, uh, they're just, you know, in the middle of their afternoon and you at three o'clock, your first couple days there, you just want to lay down and go to sleep. You're so tired. It's just such a funny thing. But then the opposite will happen. It's two o'clock in the morning and the whole city is asleep except you. You wake up and you're ready to go, and you're trying to get your clock on the right, you know, time. And I flipped on the television, and everything was in Hebrew, everything. I couldn't understand a thing on it. So I went out on my balcony, and it was overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. And I, I knew some history. I had some understanding, um, but not great understanding. So I'm standing, and I'm looking, and it's the middle of the night, and there's not a lot of activity going on. And so I'm just, I'm just praying. Said, God... It's just great to be here. Uh, you know, I can't believe that I'm here. It's just uh, anything you want me to pray right now? And the only thing that came to my mind was that scripture from the Old Testament, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know the one that I'm talking about. It's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So I began to pray, God, I pray for peace for Jerusalem. <laughs> so I went to the other side of the balcony. God, may Jerusalem have peace. God, bring peace to Jerusalem. So I'm kind of like doing this thing that I don't really understand, and I'm trying to do it. And while I'm doing it, just out of obedience, man, listen to this. Just listen to this. I didn't see him. I didn't touch him. I know that I know the Spirit of God came right up behind me, and I know that he whispered, and this is what he said to me, I am the peace of Jerusalem. I am the peace of Jerusalem. Dude, I began to weep over a city I had no connection to other than my Lord and Savior was born and raised in that city right there. I began to cry over this city, not for some temporary peace, but that the real peace, he is peace, that he would return to his city. And bring peace to the whole world. And it began a love affair to unlock a reality, a truth of... I don't know how to explain what began in 1994 that's gone all the way to 2017 where I've gone back. Now, this will be my 13th trip to Israel. And people ask me all the time, don't you get bored? Some things. I hate getting on airplanes. Airplane food does nothing for me. But the moment I get off the airplane and I step into the land and until I get back on that airplane, dude, I'm home. I love it. I rejoice in it. I laugh in it. I cry in it. I worship in it. I have such a great time. And something so deep in my heart longs to go back again and again and again. And the problem with hearing a story like this is that so many of us pray, God, I would love to have an experience like that, and you never put yourself in a place where you could have an experience like that. You don't have to go to Israel to see it happen. But how many times at 2 o'clock in the morning are you even up praying, asking God, show up? I'm just asking. We want God 
It's just that we seldom set aside times or places or opportunities for him to do it. Let me give you three thoughts about Israel. They're not in your notes. They're just things that I wrote down as I was writing this message. Three thoughts that just my experience, my length of doing this, and um, I think I said this when our guide was here uh, a couple of months ago. If we just take an average of 30 to 40 people, and sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less, but if we take an average of 30 to 40 people and you multiply it out times the number of times we've gone, folks, we've taken you know, four or 500 people, six, 700 people, somewhere in that number now is the number of people we've taken to Israel. And so what I'm about to say to you doesn't come from some book. It doesn't come from somebody else's opinion. It comes from your pastor's heart being involved in the nation of Israel. So if you've got a pen or a pencil or you just remember things real well, I'd like you just to kind of jot these down or remember. Let me give you three thoughts about Israel that I think are important. Most believers are disconnected and uninformed of their Jewish roots. Most believers are disconnected and uninformed of their Jewish roots. So, for instance, when John the Baptist points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We read that, but we have no idea that what John is doing is pointing out that the sacrificial system that's been going on for 2,000 years prior to this, there's Jesus about to end it all for us right now, the one Lamb that will be always sacrificed. But people without understanding... And even when I say it now, people don't get it. Man, we read our Bible so disconnected. So many believers, most, are disconnected and uninformed of their Jewish roots. I tease people about this all the time. When you get to heaven and you're looking for your room, there's going to be a sticker, and it's going to say Rubenstein. Look for that right there. That'll be your... Three thoughts about Israel. Most believers gather their opinion about Israel from the evening news. Most believers gather their opinion about Israel from the evening news. So that when we read things like, they need to trade land for peace, you have no idea what you're saying. When we read about the Palestinians and the plight of the Palestinians, and do not think I am anti-Palestinian because I am not, but what you read and what you see on the news is a completely different thing than what the reality is on the ground. And you are told a particular thing, and you might even be a Palestinian, listen to this message thinking I'm the biggest jerk that ever happened to stand up and talk to anybody. But I'm telling you, you are being misinformed of the reality on what's on the ground. And one of the things we do when we're there is show people, here's what it's really like. I would just tell every believer who would listen to me, quit listening to CNN to figure out what's supposed to be happening in Israel. The Denver Post has no idea. If you really want to know, read your Bible. Let me give you the third one real quick. Most believers will never go to Israel themselves and are going to miss a tremendous blessing. And then I put an addendum to that. Most believers will never go to Israel themselves and will miss a blessing in this life. But this is what the Bible says, that every year all the nations of the earth will return to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus reigns and rules. So you may not go with me in this life, but you will in the next, and baby, I'm going to watch you dance like a crazy person right in Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. 
If you've got a pen, here's some fill-in-the-blanks that are real easy to remember. This week is sort of wide. Next week, I'll take you someplace prophetic. Let me give you three irrefutable scriptures concerning the nation. Three irrefutable scriptures concerning the nation of Israel. One, God's blessing is upon Israel. God's blessing is upon Israel. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. The very first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. Genesis deals with the creation, and then it deals with God's promise to a man, and through a man, a nation, and through a nation, all nations. Now, here's what's interesting about this. God picks Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and then makes a promise to him. I will be your God. You will be my people, and this is what God says to him, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth because through you will come kings, through you will come ultimately what he's saying is Jesus, and through Jesus will come salvation. And here's the good news about this right here. God says, I'm going to make an eternal promise, and I just want to ask you this question. If I say, I'm going to promise you for eternity, how long do you think I could keep that promise? 70 years maybe? If God says it's eternal, how long do you think he can keep a promise? Baby, an eternal promise by God is forever. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is God speaking to Abraham, and look what he tells him. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a, what's the word? And this part I love. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What he's ultimately prophesying to Abraham that he's going to do through the nation of Israel is that he's going to give Jesus. I will bless you through you. I will bless all the nations of the earth because salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. You write it down right here, man. God's blessing is upon the nation of Israel. Some people have been taught this today. I heard this taught not too long ago on the radio. That Israel in their disobedience caused God to have to find another way to fulfill his promise. So what God did was cause the church to move into the place of Israel. And it's called replacement theology. That Israel sinned hardened their hearts, and rejected God. So God, in order to fulfill his promise, because God can't lie, God found another way. He created the church, and he put the church in place of Israel. It's one of the biggest lies you could ever be taught. The book of Romans says this. The Jews have been temporarily blinded so that the Gentiles could come into salvation, but before the end of time, they will see again, and all together, God's blessing will be upon the face of the earth. All of us. You know, I get asked the question all the time, um, Pastor, why do you think you're right? Why do you think you're right? Hmm, there's a lot of reasons I think I'm right. But let's be, um, let's be democratic. Muslims are taught this. Jews are taught this, Christians are taught this, the one thing that all three great 
monotheistic religions do agree on is that Abraham is a main character that plays in this. And so they all look to certain things to say, okay, there's some things that we can believe together, but it divides past that. Um, Muslims um, don't, don't see um, Isaac as the child of promise. And I, I won't go into all this right now, but just bottom line. If Muhammad returned, just look at me, okay? Just be open to this for just a second. If Muhammad returned, we all saw it. He returned. He, if he returned, we'd all have to say we were wrong, yes or no. Some of you refused to see, you just, but I'm just saying, if, if you saw Muhammad return, we'd have to say we were wrong. If the rest of the world saw Jesus return, they would have to say they were wrong. Agree? Right. I believe what the Bible says. I think it's easy to understand. I think you can trace it right through. But I realize that there are people who have differing thoughts and understanding. Part of what I say is, I'm not going to stand back and wait to see what happens because that's not faith. And God calls us to be people of faith. But I will say this to you. How in one day could all the earth in one day because this is what the Bible says in the book of Zechariah. How in one day could all the nations on the face of the earth turn towards God? If Jesus did return, just like he says he's going to, to the Mount of Olives, and the entire earth saw it, it wouldn't matter if you were a Muslim, a Hindu, a Jew, a Christian. It would not. If you saw Jesus, you would have to go, that's right, yes or no. And what the Bible says is every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What will they confess? We were wrong, and he's right. And in one day, the entire world, the entire world, one day, one moment, one second, God's blessing is upon the nation of Israel. Two, God's purpose for Israel, listen to this, is to be a blessing. Some people totally don't understand that. Israel's whole, the whole reason they exist is to be a blessing to other people. And can I just say right now, Israel is not doing a great job of being a blessing to other people. And I love Israel. But they are not doing a great job of trying to be a blessing to other people. God's purpose, though, for that nation is to be a blessing. If you just continue reading in that scripture that we just read... All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's not just Jesus that that's talking about. The nation of Israel is to represent God on this planet, and they are here to be a blessing to all nations. When Israel doesn't do right, tell me it's not one of the most highly reported things in the world. But let me say this to you. When they do do right, nobody talks about it. I can tell you this right now. You don't know this, but we take people there every time. Right on the border, it's such a small country, right on the border uh, of Lebanon um, and, uh, help me out. Syria. Thank you, Syria. Um, right on the border of Lebanon, Syria, so you're in the north. Um, you've got a concentration of, of ISIS right in that area, right there. 
that's seldom reported in the newspaper. Um, and Syria actually has some of their fighters down in the south trying to battle ISIS right here in the south. And many of their soldiers are, are injured in this battle. And they have no way to get them from the south all the way back up to Damascus. And Israel, every day, crosses the border to pick up the wounded Syrian soldiers to take them to their hospitals to patch them back up and to send them back to their own country so they can fight against ISIS again. And it's never reported one time. It's never reported. The humanitarian good that that nation does in that part of the world, it's unbelievable, but it's never reported. Most of the time, if it is, it's reported in such a negative way that it's... Third thing. The land of Israel is an eternal blessing. So this is a real hard message. God's blessing is upon Israel. God's purpose for Israel is to be a blessing. And three, the land of Israel is an eternal blessing. Let me read this to you. This is Genesis chapter 17. It's just five verses long. Let me read it to you. See if you can pick this up. Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. So here's what God is saying to Abraham. You don't have anything to do with this right now. This is just what I'm going to do. As for me, this is my covenant, my promise with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an, what's the word? One more time, as an covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an, say the word, everlasting, everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And here's what God is saying to this nation, and this is why this is so incredibly important, and this is what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else out of this message, this week and get this one thing. The most important understanding of that scripture, of God making an everlasting promise to a person, is that if God says, I'm going to do this, and you can count on it, folks, if God can't do that for Abraham, then why in the world would you ever think you could count on any promise that he would make to you? So many believers look at that scripture right there and they're like, oh, they should trade all that land. Here's God himself saying, I'm giving you this land. They don't have the right to trade the land. It's their inheritance that he's given to them as an eternal, everlasting possession. And we read that and we treat that like, well, that one, God didn't really mean. He said everlasting multiple times so that we'd get it through our heads, everlasting. The most important thing to understand is if God can't keep a promise to Abraham, what makes you think you could put trust in God saying, I'll make your marriage successful. I'll make your business successful. I'll watch over your health. I'll make sure that your children are taken care of. If God can't keep a promise to Abraham when he says everlasting, why in the world would you think he would keep a promise to you? I want to submit this to you. If you can't believe what he wrote 3,000 years ago, then you shouldn't be able to believe it for today either. Those promises, everlasting promises are good then, just like they are now. You get what I'm saying? 
And this is why so many believers, men, we just have such a misunderstanding about what Israel's supposed to be in our world today. God made a promise to a group of people, and the strangest part about it is this. That group of people has been hunted, dispersed, despised. They have been rocked. They have been, I mean, dude, they, through generation after generation, dispersed into all the earth. What should have happened is they should have intermarried with every other kind of person on the face of the earth so that there was no Jewish heritage for God to even honor his promise to. And maybe the greatest miracle of all time is this, that through all the diaspora, through all of the persecution, through everything that happened to that nation, somehow, some way, God reserved a little remnant of people that he could be faithful to, to honor his promise so that he can prove to the world that when I say I'll do something for eternity, it's for eternity. And we never consider that issue right there. There's not one other people group on the face of the earth who have been put through that much pressure, sent all over the world, dispersed into multiple nations that didn't intermarry and ended up becoming a part of a whatever group. This is the only group that through time and through testament kept a heritage so that God could honor his promise. And the only thing I would point out to you is when God said it 3,000 years ago, he meant it then. And dude, if he promises you something right now, there's as much power with it as today as there was 3,000 years ago when he said it. And it's just one of the reasons that believers should stand with the nation of Israel. It's just one of the reasons. All right, I need to just wrap this up. Let me give you four things every believer can do for the nation of Israel if he wanted to. Four things. Here's the first one. You could pray. If you're like, I don't know what to pray, set your clock for two in the morning, get up, go outside, walk around the backyard, just go, hey, Lord, bless Israel, hey, Lord, and see if God shows up, see what happens. Here's another one that you could do, go. Go with me. Go with me. The only reason that I go, the only reason I go anymore is to take people so that I can show them Look how real our God is. Look how real our Bible is. Everything you read is true and it's right. We live in a world that so challenges what Christians believe anymore. Yes or no? Go to Israel with me so I can show you with your own eyes. It's all real and it's all true and it's all there, man. Let me give you the third thing that you could do. Educate yourself. Speak up. Don't just blithely go through life. Here's what's, here's what's being taken from our world today. The ability for a person to open their mouth and speak up against the majority. Christian, if you don't think it sets up for the way the world is going, trust me. The last thing that you can do, give. And I mean that. When we go next week to take that offering, man... The reason I'm not taking it this week is I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, God, is there anything that you want our family to give that would be a blessing to this nation? Ask God, and if he gives you something, tells you something, impresses you with something, give that, and I promise you every dime you give, I'll give away in that nation. Every dime you give, I'll give away in that nation. What an honor it is to give back to something that the Lord holds in esteem in his heart. So by the way, let me just say it one more time. Israel today is one of the most difficult places on the face of the earth if you're a Christian. 
Dude, most Jews don't like Christians, and that's just the truth of the matter in Israel. But the Bible says because their hearts are hardened and their eyes are blinded right now. And that's why we have to choose to love people that don't necessarily love us. There's a big thing to do. Love someone who doesn't love you. Huh. Hmm. Lord, I know I'm very passionate about the subject, and I know others hear it, and maybe for the very first time I'm talking to them about something they've never even considered before. And I don't want them to feel um, cast down. I don't want them to feel like, uh, man, Pastor John's so, so strong on that. Um, well, I guess I do want you to feel I'm so strong on it. But I don't want you to feel like I'm against you if you don't get it. I want to try to open your heart and open your mind, and I want to show you so much of what the Bible has to say about this because there's so much blessing. That scripture, I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. God keeps that promise today. Sometimes we're asking the Lord, God, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. Why don't you just become a part of what God is blessing? And I think when we bless the nation of Israel, gosh, there's just such supernatural blessing in our lives. Sometimes we can't even point to why things go the way that they go. Maybe it's the decisions we make that God's able to use. Somebody asked me a long time ago, I, I don't know if this is true. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if I should say it because I'm not sure. But somebody asked me years and years and years ago, man, why, why do you think Jubilee grew? Why do you think of all the churches that are out there and all the churches that get planted and all the great, the great churches, why do you think this one in this area, I mean, how unlikely is this church in the middle of where we pastor, how unlikely is it that we were successful? And somebody asked me one time, why do you think it happened? I, maybe there's not one thing, maybe it was several things, but I know... I think I know one thing. I think that we made a choice early on to stand up and to say we will bless this nation because God says to do it. And God blessed our church. While I was on the front end teaching, a little Jewish carpenter was in the back building. And he put together something that I... I have no other explanation for except to say God did something for us. As you hear this message this weekend, I pray that at all campuses and at all places that you hear it, you'll consider what I'm saying. That you won't just simply say, ah, that was a long time ago, but that you'll listen to what I'm saying right now and ask the Lord what he'd have you do. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening to me.